Well, would you turn with me this evening to the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 5. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5 and if we pick up our reading at verse 33. Matthew 5 at verse 33. Again you have heard that it was sent to those of old. You shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you simply, what you say be simply yes or no, or let your yes be yes or your no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And so this evening we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's safe to say that Jesus has taught us a lot so far in this sermon. But his entire purpose and emphasis in this sermon has been to call us to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Because the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon all about Christ-centred living for Christ-centred lives. And over the past few weeks while we've been looking at this sermon, Jesus has presented to us the marks of Christian character and conduct. He's illustrated with salt and light that we are to live distinct lives from those who are in the world and not. And we are to be those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. But in the second half of this chapter, Jesus explains that the way in which we live Christ-centered lives is by fulfilling the law. Because for Jesus, the law isn't an outdated document confined to ancient Israel. For Jesus, the law is as relevant today as when it was first given to God's people. But its relevance also means that the law doesn't just demand the outward reformation of our lives it demands the inward renewal of our hearts. And Jesus has been teaching us the importance of the law by, by way of contrasting the contrasting phrases. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And when he taught about the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, Jesus said that murder doesn't just begin with an action, it begins in the heart. Because it begins with anger and hatred. And then when Jesus gave the exposition on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus explained that we need to watch our heart and we need to watch the eyes of our heart when it comes to the issues of lust and divorce. But now as we come to this section, we're still in the classroom and we're still being taught in the school of Christ. We are enrolled citizens in this school and we are here to be taught of the Lord. He is our teacher. And it's safe to say that the lessons aren't easy. It's not that they are difficult to understand. But because they are hard. Because they are challenging us to live like Jesus lived. 
where the standard is high. In, in fact, the standard, as it says at the very end of this chapter, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard that Jesus is setting. Perfection. Because Jesus is teaching us how we are to fulfill the chief end for which we were created. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so Jesus is teaching us this evening about the importance of oaths. And his teaching is based upon the third commandment. He's taught us about the sixth, the seventh, but now he goes back to the third. The commandment which says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And Jesus is teaching us about vows and promises and oaths and the importance of upholding them. And there are three things which I'd like us to consider. And the first of them is that Jesus is calling us to watch our word. Watch our word. And if we just read again in verse 33, he says, Watch our word. Again, I've, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And so what we see here is that Jesus begins his exposition on the third commandment with a contrast, the, the usual contrast, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. But when Jesus mentions the third commandment and taking the Lord's name in vain, he, he's not referring to, to swearing in, in the sense of using bad language or cursing. Instead, Jesus is highlighting a different form of swearing, the kind when you, you swear in order to make an oath. And the reason why Jesus raises this issue is because there were many people who were ready to make oaths and promises to people without actually considering the consequences. And what Jesus wants to teach us is that as his disciples, as his disciples, we should be known as those who can be relied upon. We ought to be reliable. And Jesus is saying that this should be a, a kingdom distinctive. Where a distinct feature of our lives as those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven is that we are reliable. We are people of integrity. We are trustworthy. We are upright. We are honest. We are dependable people. And the way to be a person of integrity, says Jesus, is do not swear at all. Do not swear at all. Not bad language, but don't make an oath. And when you first read what Jesus is saying, it seems like a contradiction to the commandment. Because he's just said that the commandment states, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But now Jesus is saying in verse 34, do not swear at all. Don't make oaths and promises in any way, shape or form. I suppose what we must be clear on is that Jesus isn't speaking against oaths themselves or the act of taking oaths, such as oaths in a marriage. Jesus isn't speaking against that. But what he is speaking against is the abuse of oaths and the abuse of the truth that went with it. 
Because what often happened was that people would either make this rash oath in order to to prove their integrity and uh, their worthiness, their trustworthiness. And with such a hasty move, they didn't think about it. They didn't consider it. What, uh, and they didn't consider what they were doing. And they would enter this oath on the whim of their own words. They would just spurt it out. And once the oath was made, especially when it was made in the name of the Lord, there was no turning back. And so when Jesus says, don't swear at all, he's addressing the issue of making oaths on the basis of a lack of integrity. Because what Jesus is pointing out to us is that the reason an oath is formulated and instituted in the first place is because of a lack of trust. There's a lack of confidence in what's being said. There's a lack of of credence to the statement that's being made. Therefore, an oath is brought in in order to, to add weight and to add an emphasis to the statement of truth. But what Jesus is saying is that our integrity... And our conduct as dependable, reliable, trustworthy people, it ought to be enough. It ought to be enough. Our conversation, he says, ought to be so honest that no one is ever in doubt or ever questions anything that we say. And our character ought to be so true that we don't need to rely upon oaths and vows and and promises In order for people to believe what we're saying. We shouldn't need to base anything what we're saying. That's what Jesus is saying. We shouldn't need to base it upon an oath. We shouldn't have to say I promise you. Or you can trust me. Because the integrity of our conduct. Should be ample evidence to prove that our word is trustworthy and true. And Jesus is saying that no one should ever question whether we are telling the truth or not. No one should ever doubt the truthfulness of what comes out of our mouth by the way. And they should never doubt because of the way in which we live our lives. Because according to Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven must always speak the truth. We must always speak the truth. Which means that there is no such thing as a little white lie. But when it came to the Pharisees, Jesus knew that they didn't seek to uphold the law as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. They were obsessed with with keeping the outward appearance. But the heart was a, a totally different concept altogether. And it was for this reason that they sought to, to dodge and distort the law at every possible occasion... And one such occasion was the use of oaths. Because the Pharisees, they were, they were famous for their abuse of the oaths. But the reason for their oaths was often a ploy to, to cover up the lie that they were propagating. And they would use all kinds of tricks in order to, to sidestep the truth and go round it. To the point that they would avoid using the holy name of God when making an oath. Because according to a Pharisee, When you use the name of God, it was binding and permanent. But if you made an oath only by swearing in the name of the city of Jerusalem or heaven or earth or some part of the body, that was viewed as an oath which could be in their mind just disregarded. 
You could lie to someone blatantly. But it wasn't a solemn oath if you were swearing by anything apart from the name of the Lord. If it wasn't in the name of the Lord that the oath was made, you could lie to them, clearly. And that's why Jesus is saying, don't swear at all. Don't swear at all. Because every oath, he says, every vow is said in the presence and the name of the Lord. Everything is said in his name. He is present in all of his creation. It doesn't matter whether you swear in the name of God or not. You are still bound to your oath. You, you can't abuse it and dictate whether you are making a solemn oath or not. Every oath is solemn. And that's why Jesus says, don't swear by heaven. Because heaven, that's God's throne. He's present there. And don't swear by the earth, that also belongs to God. That's, that's his footstool. He's also present there. And don't even swear by the name of Jerusalem, because that also belongs to God. It's the city of the great king, and his presence is also to be found in that city. And don't even think about swearing by your own head, he says, because your life is not in your hands. Your life is in God's hands, and it is permanently in the presence of God. So how can you base your honesty upon your own head? And you have such little control over your own head that you can't even make one hair on your head white or black. And the point which Jesus is making is that spreading or speaking the truth shouldn't be dependent upon making an oath or not. We are not to dictate and put into all these compartments things that are relevant to God or not. All of it's relevant to him, he's saying. Everything you speak is in his presence. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that we are not to dictate what is a white lie and what is a black lie. Rather, what should characterize us is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. We should never have to convince anyone that we are telling the truth. They should know by our character. We should never have to say, I promise you, I swear to you, as God is my witness. Of course, in the context of a law court, it's necessary to speak under oath. But in the context of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, living for the king of the kingdom of heaven, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. The conclusion of the matter, says one commentator, is that it is never necessary for Christ's people to swear an oath before they utter the truth. Their word should always be so reliable that nothing more than a statement is needed from them. What's your word? What's your word? That's the first thing we see here. But secondly, we see, keep your word. Keep your word. As Jesus says in verse 37, Let what you say be simply. Let your yes be yes, or your no, no. And anything more than this comes from the evil one. And so Jesus concludes his point about oaths by 
by insisting that our oath-making doesn't need to be in the name of God or, or heaven or earth because everything we say ought to be the truth. Everything we speak should be as solemn as an oath which is made in the presence of God. But what we must be clear on and reiterate is that Jesus isn't speaking against oaths themselves and the act of taking an oath. He's speaking against the abuse of oaths and the way in which they can be used to conceal the truth and convince others of the truth. When our word and our conduct ought to be enough, it ought to be enough evidence that we are speaking the truth. But in this verse, Jesus raises the point that, that being people of integrity and honour not only depends upon speaking the truth, but also upholding the truth. Our reliability as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven not only depends upon the manner in which we speak or make oaths, but it also depends upon keeping our word when we give it. Which is why Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, being people of integrity and honour implies that we must keep our word. For if everything we say is in the manner of an oath, everything that comes out of our mouth, it's, it's sworn in the sense, before God, then we ought to uphold everything we say, regardless of how significant or insignificant it may be. For example, if we, have, if we said that we're going to do something, then we ought to do it. If we said that we're going to be somewhere with someone, then we ought to be there. If we said that we will help someone, then we ought to uphold our word and help them. Of course, providence and circumstances may interfere and these things may have to change, which is understandable. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is saying is that if we are people of integrity, if we are to be trustworthy, if we are to be upright, if we are to be honest, reliable, dependable people, then we must be known for keeping our word. For as people of integrity and truth, our word is important. Because if we can't be trusted with the ordinary, everyday matters, Jesus is asking, how then can we be trusted with the things of Christ's church? And so what Jesus is saying is, don't make promises that you can't keep. Don't give your word and, and not keep your word. Because you will call into question your integrity and your conduct. And any excuse that you use to cover up your integrity, to wash over it, he says, that's from the evil one. If any, anything more than your word is required, or if you make up fabricated excuses, if they need to be given in order to get you out of a situation, then your excuse is from the devil. And Jesus is, is using strong words here, because he's reminding us that the devil is known as the father of lies, He's the liar from the beginning. And so Jesus is saying, don't make excuses. Keep your word. Be a man or a woman of integrity and honour. Be a man or a woman of integrity and honour. But in his 
in his letter we see that James, James quotes this verse from the Sermon on the Mount in order to, to emphasise that we need to be trustworthy. Uh, because throughout his letter James has been speaking upon the importance of the tongue it's the un- unruly evil it's like uh, it's like a horse that needs to be bridled and he, he talks about the need to control the tongue and he stresses the, the need for integrity and honesty but in the closing remarks of his letter Jesus say, uh, James says quoting this passage He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. Then he says, lest you fall into judgment. Lest you fall into judgment. And what James says there is interesting because the word he uses for judgment is the word to describe a hypocrite. And so what James is warning us against is the danger of acting like a hypocrite, a person who is two-faced and double-minded, not genuine and honest, but only putting on a face and saying what people want to hear instead of what you're actually thinking. And I think what James says here brings out the teaching which Jesus is, is emphasising because the word for a hypocrite gives, it gives the illustration of an actor on a stage. They're up front on the stage, one who's, and they're wearing a mask. And they're concealing their true identity by their mask. And they're, they're playing the part. The part that they want to play. They're playing the role of, of someone other than themselves. And they are putting on the show. But in doing so they are distorting the truth. And they are being fake and false and deceitful. Which is why James stresses the importance of seeing the tongue as an unruly evil. Because it can so easily lead us into a life of dishonesty and deceitfulness. And so what we're being encouraged to be is to be people of honesty and integrity. We're to be people who keep our word. But when Jesus and James stresses that our yes ought to be yes and our no ought to be no, they're pointing out to us that we ought to keep our word. But we also ought to take care when we give our word. Because we can sometimes be tempted into saying something without giving any prior thought. And before we know it, we are committed to it. In the words we read in Numbers chapter 30, we were told, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds out of his mouth. (coughs) And we see many times in the Bible occasions when the Lord's people gave their word, despite being it being a, a difficult situation. One particular case was Hannah. Hannah, when she pleaded with the Lord to have a child, and she vowed that if the Lord gave her a child, she would give him to the Lord all the days of her life. And despite how hard it must have been to give up her, her child, Hannah handed Samuel over to serve the Lord all his days. 
But Solomon also warned us in Ecclesiastes that it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not to keep it. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not to keep it. Because sometimes we can make rash decisions and rash oaths which inevitably have consequences. And one such occasion was what we read in Judges 11. And the occasion when Jephthah, the judge of Israel, made a rash decision. In which he vowed to the Lord that he would offer the first thing that he saw coming out of his house as a burnt offering. He would offer it to the Lord. If the Lord would would give the Ammonites into his hand, he would offer the first thing he saw. And the first thing that came out of Jephthah's house was his only daughter. And what's hard to comprehend is that Jephthah, Jephthah proceeded to say, I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. And a natural reading of of the passage indicates that Jephthah did exactly what he said he would do. He was a man of his word, and it cost him dearly. But the truth is, Jephthah should never have made the vow in the first place, because Israel's victory should never have been based upon a rash and a careless vow. Rather, the vow was made because of Jephthah's lack of faith. And the incident of Jephthah sacrificing his only daughter may seem like an extreme occasion. But the teaching of the passage and the teaching of Jesus is clear. To be a person of integrity, truthfulness and honour, you must keep your word. Or else you're a liar. And this teaching applies to every area of our lives. Not only our everyday conversation and conduct with people but it applies to the vows that we have made before God our marriage vows which is relevant to what Jesus was talking about just before with the issues of of lust and divorce can also apply to baptism vows to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord it even applies to our profession of faith Our profession as a Christian because we're not to be hypocrites. We're not to say one thing and do another. We are to live integral lives with integrity by our speech and our conduct. We are to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are to be people of integrity, honour, truthfulness, reliability and faithfulness. But the truth is, more often than not, we feel like complete failures. We feel like complete failures where we let the Lord down in so many different ways. And you know, I read it the other day, I came across it, and I always love what Paul said to young Timothy. I always try and view myself as the young Timothy sitting at the feet of Paul. And Paul was passing on the baton to the young minister Paul was finishing his race he had kept the faith finished the course and he's passing on the baton and Paul says to Timothy this is a faithful saying if we have died with him we shall also live with him if we endure we shall also reign with him if we deny him he will also deny us if we are faithless 
he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And then Paul said to the young preacher, Remind them of these things. Remind them. Remind the Lord's people of these things. And that's what I'd like to do. We've considered the call to watch our word, the call to keep our word. But lastly, I'd like to remind you that we are to cling to the word. We are to cling to the word. Because it's safe to say that when it comes to making and keeping oaths and promises, God is the perfect example. God is the perfect example. Jesus exhorted us earlier that we, we shouldn't make oaths. We should make oaths on the basis of proving our integrity or demonstrating that we can be trusted. We should be trusted because of our faithful character and conduct. But in contrast to this, we clearly see in Scripture that the God we worship is a God who makes promises. He makes vows. He makes oaths. But he doesn't make promises in order to prove his integrity to us. He doesn't make them in order to affirm that he is trustworthy or reliable. The Lord doesn't make promises because of a failure on his part. He makes promises solely on a failure of our part. The promises of God are given to us because we lack faith. Because we lack trust. Because we lack assurance. Because we lack confidence in the God we worship. And our hope is not in the Lord as it should be. For we are often filled with, with doubts and concerns. And yet my friend, the promises of God are there as a reminder to us of his character and his conduct towards his people. And this God with whom we have to do, he is one who makes promises and who keeps promises. He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And when thinking about the covenant faithfulness of God, we should always go back to that first revelation of God's covenant of grace. When God first revealed it to Abraham in Genesis 15. Where God revealed his, his covenant to Abraham. And he emphasized that he has bound himself to his promise. And that he will remain faithful to his promise. But what was so beautiful about the way in which the Lord assured Abraham. That he would remain faithful to his covenant. Was what the Lord said to Abraham. Because he said... You shall know of a surety. You shall know of a surety. That's a, lo a lovely phrase. Know of a surety. And it means that the Lord didn't want Abraham or any of his descendants to ever doubt about his promise of salvation. The Lord wanted Abraham to know that his promise was a promise with full assurance. Because in that covenant the Lord had made his oath and he made it by his own name which means that the covenant promise of salvation rested upon the faithfulness of the Lord and not the faithfulness of his people and you know it was it was this covenant promise it was that covenant promise and the Lord's faithfulness to his promise that's what kept Abraham and all his descendants going that's what 
kept their faith strong in their pilgrimage on this earth. Because that's what the writer to the Hebrews picks up on. I just I love the book of Hebrews because it just opens up the Old Testament for us and highlights Jesus to us everywhere we turn. But the writer to the Hebrews, he referred to the occasion of God making the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And he, he mentions it in Hebrews 6, where he says, When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after Abraham had patiently endured he obtained the promise because God confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we might flee for refuge and lay hold of the hope that is set before us which hope we have as an anchor for the soul which is sure and steadfast. The hope that we have, the anchor of the soul which is sure and steadfast. And yet, the writer of the Hebrews, when, when you follow his, his thought, he reaches chapter 11. And he presents all those who, who lived by faith and they lived clinging to the, the promises of God's covenant. And he says that Abraham, Abraham received the promises. All those who lived by faith, they obtained the promises. And although they all died in faith without having seen the, the fulfillment of the promises... They saw them afar off and they were assured of them and they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And my friend, it's no wonder to us then that the Apostle Peter, he reminded struggling Christians who were battling with the world, the flesh and the devil all around them. He says, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. And there are many of them. Many promises throughout scripture. I mean, I, I was thinking even the amount of promises that are in scripture. You could stand, preach a whole sermon, just quoting the promises. Quoting the promises. Lo, I am with you always, to the end of the world. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it on to completion. There is nothing that shall separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth. Nor angels nor principalities. Nor powers. Nothing. Nothing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And I shall never pluck them out of my hand. Fear not little flock. The Lord is my shepherd. Goodness and mercy shall surely follow me. All the days of my life. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. You could go through the whole Bible. Full of promises. Promises. And we're to cling to these promises. Cling to them. We're, you know, I was... I don't know if you have prom, a promise box. You've ever seen them before. These little scrolls that are all placed inside a little box and you pull them out. I haven't seen, we have one in the house, but I haven't seen it in years. And when you pull them out, you open it. A promise. And you want to pull another one out because they're so good. Because 
The word is full of promises. Promises that we are to cling to, to, to lay hold of. We're to plead even the promises. Plead all the promises because they are the surety of God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards his people. And there are many of them. Many of them. And each and every one of the promises of God, says Paul, they are in him. Yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. Is that not what the hymn writer urged us to do? Stand on the promises of God our Saviour. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. And so my friend we need to watch our word. We need to keep our word. But most of all we need to cling to the word. Cling to the word. The word of scripture. And the word who became flesh. Because he is faithful. He is faithful. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord our gracious God. We give thanks to thee. That thou art a God of promise. A God who promised to Abraham. To Isaac and to Jacob. A God who was faithful to every generation. And that even Moses could say that Lord thou hast been our dwelling place. In all generations. And help us then we plead. As those generations after Moses. To continue to plead the same promises. For thou art a God who changeth not. The one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. And thy promises are still sure and steadfast. Thy promises, Lord, are yea and amen in Christ. And help us then to cling to them. Maybe in our doubts or our uncertainty. Maybe, Lord, waiting upon the promises that thou hast made for those even in our family. That we might continue to plead for them. To continue to plead the promises. Realising that thou art one who is faithful. Faithful in all things. Even faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh bless us Lord we plead. Help us to keep looking to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Go before us then. And do us good. For Jesus sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 117. Psalm 117 in the Sing Psalms version, page 155. Now I've been assured that you know this tune. So, I think it's a lovely psalm. Psalm 117, we'll sing it twice, seeing it's so short. Praise the Lord, O all you nations, all you people, sing his praise. For his love is great towards us. His commitment lasts always. He is faithful now and ever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. To God's praise. Praise the Lord. All you nations, all you people, sing.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.